The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. You see that guy? He's the next Donald Trump, except he's younger and much better looking. Hi. Do you know him? No, I've never seen him in my life. He usually dates models, but hey, I'm as good looking as a model. Plus, I own my own business. Samantha had the kind of deluded self-confidence that caused men like Ross Perot to run for president. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, November 24th, 2022. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. It's not me they're after, it's you. I'm just in the way. Remember that meme that was circulating during the previous two American elections? Well, Trump is still in their way, and they're still after us, we the people. And it's not just we the people of America, it's we the people of the whole world. Although we will be dealing with the midterm results and the coming 2024 elections with Donald Trump at the helm of the Republican Party, those current events only serve as the backdrop for our greater theme, the nature of government, of elections, the labels that define all things left and right, and of course, fixing the voting process itself. It all begins right after our reminder that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Follow and like us on your favorite podcast platform and visit us at justrightmedia.org where you can access all of our social media links, archive broadcasts, and the support button that makes it easy for you to support the show with your donation or contribution. Because as always, your financial support is appreciated and is what makes this show possible. In order to make America great and glorious again, I am tonight announcing my candidacy for President of the United States. Well, it's no coincidence that Trump made his announcement as soon as the midterms were over, even though a lot of illegitimate ballot counting was still going on. And of course, the incumbents, remember, are all still in power until January 2023, so expectations of more shenanigans like, you know, nuclear wars, viral pandemics, climate catastrophes, lockdowns, forced injections of bioweapons, currency and financial collapses, you know, those kind of things. They're almost taken for granted. <laughs> Assuming, of course, that anyone is even aware of all these crises, which is a crisis of its own, and we'll be addressing that one as the show progresses. Much of Trump's speech was his usual rhetoric, citing past political accomplishments and successes, which is a task he must undertake. I mean, that's his job. 
thanking certain candidates and patriots for their contributions to the effort and otherwise motivating his support base to begin their work towards the next election. Or perhaps towards something else entirely. This was not the Trump of 2016 or 2020, and I'm not referring to the fact that we've all aged since then. This was a Trump far more critically aware of his hostile political environment and of the great dangers ahead, unlike any ever faced by Americans. And in the course of delivering his November 15 speech at Mar-a-Lago, Trump made some very cryptic and disturbing remarks indeed. I'll be sharing those specific remarks with you a bit later in the show, but not before laying out the backdrop that gives those remarks their particular significance. So let's begin by getting directly to the substance of Trump's election announcement speech, which itself ran a little bit over an hour. And out of that hour, I have selected about 10 minutes of what I consider to be the fundamental essence of his message and of his analysis of our current crisis. And, you know, I'm a bit surprised that even commentators on the general right aren't quite grasping the major shift and change in Trump's strategy, which still includes winning the next election, of course, but perhaps something much more. Now, with those thoughts in mind, on both this and the return side of our upcoming bumper, listen very carefully to what Trump was saying, without all the clutter of the usual, though necessary, rhetoric of political elections. Together we will be taking on the most corrupt forces and entrenched interests imaginable. Our country is in a horrible state. We're in grave trouble. This is not a task for a politician or a conventional candidate. This is a task for a great movement that embodies the courage, confidence, and the spirit of the American people. This is a movement. This is not for any one individual. Because the only force strong enough to defeat the massive corruption we are up against is you, the American people. It's true. This is a job for grandmothers and construction workers, firefighters, builders, teachers, doctors, and farmers who cannot stay quiet any longer. You can't stay quiet any longer. You're angry about what's happening to our country. Our country is being destroyed before your very eyes. But just as I promised in 2016, I am your voice. I am your voice. The Washington establishment wants to silence us, but we will not let them do that. What we have built together over the past six years is the greatest movement in history because it is not about politics. It's about our love for this great country, America, and we're not going to let it fail. I am running because I believe the world has not yet seen the true glory of what this nation can be. We have not reached that pinnacle, believe it or not. In fact, we can go very far. We're going to have to go far. First, we have to get out of this ditch. And once we're out, you'll see things that nobody imagined for any country. It's called the United States of America, and it's an incredible place. We are Americans, and we do not have to endure what has taken place in Washington, D.C. This is our country, our government, and the corridors of power, or their 
our Carters. They're not their Carters. These are our Carters. And we are coming to take those Carters back. So from now until Election Day in 2024, which will come very quickly, we'll go, look at how time flies, look how fast it's all going. I will fight like no one has ever fought before. We will defeat the radical left Democrats that are trying to destroy our country from within. It's crazy what's happening. We can't let it continue. Joe Biden is the face of left-wing failure and Washington corruption. He had a big G20 dinner tonight. Everybody flew over to wherever they flew over. And guess what? He never showed up. They're still looking for him. What's going on? I will ensure that Joe Biden does not receive four more years in 2020. Our country could not take that. And I say that not in laughter. I say that in tears. Our country could not take four more years. It can only take so much. It's all very fragile to start off with. It can only take so much. It is not enough merely to complain or oppose. We don't want to be critics. We don't want to be complainers. I never wanted to be a critic. I never respected critics. They tell people what's wrong, but they can't do it themselves. We will win because we will fight with every measure of our strength and with every ounce of our energy to lift up the working men and working women of America and to restore the fabric of this nation. The radical left Democrats have embraced an extreme ideology of government domination and control. Our approach is the opposite, one based on freedom, values, individual responsibility, and just plain common sense. It's common sense. In two years, the Biden administration has destroyed the U.S. economy. Just destroyed it. With victory, we will again build the greatest economy ever. It will take place quickly. We will build the greatest economy ever. The socialist disaster known as the Green New Deal, which is destroying our country and the many crippling regulations that it has spawned, will be immediately terminated so that our country can again breathe and grow and thrive like it should. As Commander-in-Chief, I will get Biden's radical left ideology out of our military, and I did. I did. And in the first day, they put it back. They signed an executive order, and they put it back. It was gone. We will abolish every Biden COVID mandate and rehire every patriot who was fired from our military with an apology and full back pay. They deserve an apology, and they deserve full back pay, and they'll get it.
And unlike Biden possibly getting us into World War III, which can seriously happen, I will keep America out of foolish and unnecessary foreign wars, just as I did for four straight years. We will again have peace through strength. That's all it is. But as I have said before, the gravest threats to our civilization are not from abroad, but from within. None is greater than the weaponization of the justice system, the FBI, and the DOJ. We must conduct a top-to-bottom overhaul to clean out the festering rot and corruption of Washington, D.C. dismantle the deep state and restore government by the people. To further drain the swamp, I will push for a constitutional amendment to impose term limits on members of Congress. It's time. It's time. for a permanent ban on taxpayer funding of campaigns, a lifetime ban on lobbying by former members of Congress and Cabinet We will do whatever it takes to bring back honesty, confidence, and trust in our elections. To eliminate cheating, I will immediately demand voter ID, same-day voting, and only paper ballots. same-day voting, voter ID, so simple. And, and we want all votes counted by election night. If our movement remains united and confident, then we will shatter the forces of tyranny and we will unleash the glories of liberty for ourselves and for our children and for generations yet to come. America's golden age is just ahead. And together, we will make America powerful again. We will make America wealthy again. We will make America strong again. We will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. We will make America glorious again. 
and we will make America great again. Thank you very much. God bless you all. Thank you. And that, for me, was the true essence of Trump's Mar-a-Lago speech, with one very short but significant exception that we'll get to in the next segment of today's presentation. And as I mentioned earlier, what we just heard in those selected highlights also happens to serve as an excellent backdrop and context for the balance of our discussion today, which begins with this very interesting email feedback comment received this week. This is from Dave P., who wrote on November 17th, and I quote, Hi guys, I agree with a lot of what you say about what is going on. But you have one very serious blind spot, as many current conservatives or libertarians do. You identify socialism as the great evil. This is very misdirected, as the great evil is pretty clearly capitalism. And socialism is the quote-unquote force for good, which has been doing its best to hold capitalism in check for the last 150 years, with a good deal of success until the recent 30-40 years. All the stuff the turd has been up to is not socialism in action, it is the capitalists, aka neo-feudalists, using tools like the World Economic Forum, etc., on their final drive for world domination. I'm sure you're ready to g-file this by now with derisory thoughts, but it's true, and you can see a completely irrefutable explanation of what has been going on here if you are ready for your Saul-like epiphany. It's not the left trying to take over the world and shut down free speech and all that other bad stuff. It's the right. And then Dave points out a website, which I checked out, and he concludes, Good luck. The final battle is pretty well underway, and we need the good guys on the right side. And in brackets, which is the left side, actually. End quote. Well, hello, Dave, and thanks for your feedback. It couldn't have come at a better time, since it has offered us a great opportunity to address your concerns in the context of today's current events. And the issues you raise are shared by many others. As far as my Saul-like epiphany is concerned, I should let you know that I had mine about 40 or 50 years ago, and what I saw on the website you directed us to suggests very strongly that you still have a bit of a way to go before having your own epiphany on this subject. And don't get me wrong, I know exactly where you're coming from, been there, done that, and there's a lot you said that I agree with. And may I add, <laughs> you've presented your objection in as classy and as reasonable a way as anyone could ask. Your observations, if not your conclusions, are right on the money, and speak to the very heart of what this show is all about and why we call it just right. And you know what my epiphany was? Everything that we were ever taught about politics, the left and the right, the political spectrum, the nature of all the isms and schisms we're confronted with, is a complete fiction, fabricated by those who benefit from that fiction. And it continues to this day, and I'm one of the few people who learned this not just from reading books and spouting theories, but by putting theory into practice over a period now spanning nearly half a century. I would guess that my own political awakening began back in the 1970s and eventually culminated in the establishment of the Freedom Party of Ontario, 
which I assure you is a party of the right, and properly so. But in the early days, we didn't always see ourselves as such. Having evolved out of a libertarian movement that has since abandoned us, we fell into the trap that I noticed your website actually addressed under what was titled Libertarian Lie Number 2. There is no right or left, just dirty slavish commies versus great free capitalists. And the first comment read, Now we need to get on to the next very dangerous lie the libertarian propagandists are selling to their followers. The idea that there is no right and left in politics these days. It's just we strong, freedom-loving libertarian capitalists against those damned commie collectivist self-enchaining slaves, end quote. Well, if what you're saying is that there is a left and right in politics, then, pardon the pun, you got it just right. But the fact that you see the left as a force for good against capitalism is a consequence of confusing the left with the right. And this is no mere matter of semantics or subjectivism. And I think I know why you're doing it, because it's an easy misassociation to make. And I noticed that you cited, quote, capitalists, a.k.a. neo-feudalists, using tools like the World Economic Forum on their final drive for world dominion as being not the left trying to take over the world and shut down free speech and all that other stuff, it's the right. And there is the first clue to a common misassociation. Take it from me. I have yet to meet a so-called capitalist who is in favor of capitalism. The word capitalism was originally introduced by the left, Karl Marx most notably, as an anti-concept calculated to politicize the earning of private wealth on a market free of coercion, by equating it with an ideology of socialism which is entirely based on the initiation of force and fraud and coercion in the marketplace. And while you have correctly identified the villains, you've misidentified their correct political label. These are no businessmen or capitalists. So-called Big Pharma got all its billions, not to mention its exclusive exemptions from being held responsible for damages caused by its products, from taxpayers and governments, not from customers who willingly shelled out their hard-earned money for a trusted product on a free market. There's nothing capitalistic about this at all. And beyond the fact that capitalists love the tyranny of fascism when it fills their coffers, there's an even bigger issue causing the confusion between left-right socialism and capitalism. The fundamental reason for the confusion is that you're buying into what has been falsely presented as the so-called political spectrum, with communism and socialism on the left and fascism on the right. But fascism is an explicit ideology of the left and was always known as such until the Democratic Party, following the Second World War, made sure all of the nation's textbooks on the subject portrayed the political spectrum in the manner we're all familiar with. On past broadcasts, you will have heard both Dinesh D'Souza and our own resident historian and political scientist Salim Mansour elaborating on this historical fact. But on the actual reality of what is left and what is right, I would direct you to our June 22, 2017 broadcast, just right 510, on the broken political compass encompassing the political spectrum. The first thing you'll see there is a diagram of the traditional political spectrum, which is false, as contrasted against a diagram of the political polarity, which is what left and right are really representative of. 
And if you listen to the broadcast itself, you'll hear how the confusion manifests itself in the public arena. And that's not the only occasion on which we focused strictly on this distinction. You might want to try Just Right 597, The War of Words, From Left to Right to Just Right, or Episode 599, Left, Right, and the Extreme Center, or Episode 671, The Necessary Polarization of Left and Right, or Episode 672, COVID's Polarized Narratives, Always Left and Right, or Episode 677, Ideologues Against Ideas, The Left versus the Right. And for the record, both in theory and in practice, socialism is a great evil to the core. And we just heard Donald Trump offer the great distinction between socialism, the left, and capitalism, the right, when he said that the radical left Democrats have embraced an extreme ideology of government domination and control. Our approach is the opposite, one based on freedom, values, individual responsibility, and just plain common sense. Not bad for a guy who professes no particular ideology. And Trump quite correctly identified the socialist disaster known as the Green New Deal. He didn't call it a capitalist disaster, which one might do given all of the business interests profiting from the scam. The very definition of socialism is evil. The theory of public collective ownership or control of the basic means of production, distribution, and exchange with the avowed aim of operating for use rather than for profit. Well, that seemingly benign technical definition describes a formula for tyranny and slavery and for fraud. To begin with, there's no such thing as public ownership. That is a metaphysical impossibility. Just try selling your share of the public streets that you supposedly own. You'll quickly discover the fiction of public ownership firsthand. The public itself is a metaphysical fiction. For example, the idea that you know, the streets are public property is ridiculous. Check the title deed. In my city, the streets and parks are owned by the corporation of the City of London, which in turn is run like any other corporation that doesn't have to earn its money but simply expropriates it. And then on the supposedly right wing of the supposed spectrum, which is really all on the left, we have libertarianism, with which I have had more than considerable experience. Libertarianism is really little more than economic theory disguised as political platforms. Libertarianism is at its root, both in history and in philosophy, a movement of the left that endorses anarchy and never government. More freedom through less government was a common refrain I used to hear from both libertarians and many conservative organizations to say nothing of the National Citizens Coalition under Stephen Harper. Government is not a quantitative entity that one measures in terms of more or less. Government originates in the moral faculty, and governing is a moral action. Fact is, today we do not have government. We have undemocratic and unaccountable states, and the two things are so diametrically opposed it shocks me that this isn't common knowledge. The right wing wants to monopolize business. The left wing wants to monopolize labor. Two sides of the same leftist coin. Both of those policies are anti-capitalism and anti-free market to the core. And for the record, all monopolies exist only at the behest of state sanction and enforcement. Find me an exception. Whether state or private, the state controls it all. 
And it should be pointed out that if you're going to make any arguments at all about the political polarities and labels of left and right, or about the political labels of conservative, libertarian, or all the rest, you have to begin with a definition of each without which no argument is possible. Even in its seemingly most benign definition of, quote, from each according to his ability to each according to his needs, end quote, socialism is a declaration of immorality and slavery. All ideologies of the left talk about wealth redistribution, as if wealth is to be found in nature and that it's their God-given right to do the distributing of wealth they had no part in creating. Such is the fundamental nature of the conflict behind all of politics, which brings us back to Trump and the recent midterms. Now comes the last piece of the backdrop to the very significant and ominous message conveyed by Trump during his Mar-a-Lago speech. And of all the reactions to Trump's speech that I heard, the one that floated to the top for me was the following exchange between Owen Schroyer of the War Room on November 16 and his guest Matt Baker, with whom I'm not really familiar. And the reason I chose this exchange, believe it or not, was because Mr. Baker raised the issue of the Q phenomenon and an associated belief suggesting that there's some kind of grand plan underway by Trump and the military and that everyone should therefore just sit back and not have to do anything. In his accusing some Q followers of suffering from the hopium of the masses, my problem is that I've never really seen or heard any of this kind of thinking directly coming from any voice I've known to be associated with the Q phenomenon, but I repeatedly hear this concern brought to my attention. Now, the voice associated with Q, with which I am most familiar, is that of the X-22 report, which to this day continues to receive an average of a quarter million to 300,000 views per day on Rumble alone. And if you're wondering why, on the return side of our bumper, you'll discover a narrative that is not like the one being described either by mainstream media or any other version of hopium for the masses. Just listen. Decide for yourself. Slave to Liberty. That's the T-shirt he has on there. Matt, it's official. Donald Trump announces last night. What do you think about the announcement, the speech, the response? Matt Baker. Well, I think it was pretty much inevitable. Of course he was going to run. I mean, yesterday you were saying, well, it's good to know that he's really serious about running. But I was like, I mean... It's pretty much no-brainer. I mean, I, I figured, of course, he was going to run. I, I thought the chance of him not running were, I don't know, one in five percent, maybe. But um, it was actually I watched the live coverage last night. Uh, there was a buddy of mine who's uh, he's actually deep into the Q phenomenon, but he's a really good guy, script keeper. He's got a pretty good following, uh, funny New Yorker dude. Uh, and he was sure that Trump was going to announce that uh, the military is in control and that the people are getting rounded up and everyone's going to Guantanamo and this and that. So I was like tuning in, not so much just for Trump, just to watch this guy like collapse when he realized, dude, he's just running for election. So he's, he's trying to not end up in jail himself with the Democrats right now. They're the deep state. It's not Q. The Democrats are the ones running everything. No, I know, but uh, but, but the, the people still believe Trump has this plan and there's all this thing. This, it's another thing. It's the hopium of the masses is this idea that we're just going to sit back and the plan's going to take effect. And the funny thing is, is they want you to be a part of the plan, but the plan is don't do anything. Yep. So it's like, 
what does it matter if I don't believe in the plan? Because theoretically, they've got everything under control. Personally, I mean, it's good to see Trump's back in the game because he's going to be injecting a lot of good commentary into the media. Most of the media were covering it. That was good to see. I thought he was pretty well on form. I did think it was a classic Trump, although I didn't think there was anything really new or exciting or out of the ordinary. I was kind of waiting for him to like really say something that was going to be like, okay, this is a new campaign. I did feel like it was kind of like we're back to the same old campaign. But I voted for him twice, and I'll vote for him the third time if he's the candidate, that's for sure. The damage that Biden has caused on the international landscape for the U.S., I think Trump is the only one that can try to put that back together because it's we're in a deep hole. Really, when I saw Biden shuffling around in his little Mao brigade outfit with with Trudeau, I mean, <laughs> wow. I have like, to, you know what? what I have to come like, clean. The embarrassment. They might as well just take Lady Liberty and strap her to her gurney and just start doing things to her. I mean, it's like, what? I don't give this the liberals any ideas here, all right? They'll come around and say it's, it's, it's Mr. Liberty now. It was actually a standard Balinese suit that Biden was wearing. So it technically was not the communist Mao suit. It was, since they are in Indonesia, it was the Balinese classical garb. So not a communist Chinese Mao suit. It was Balinese. Do you think Trump would have worn that suit? Oh, God, no. No. No, Justin Trudeau said, hey, Biden, I got a little gift for you. And for some reason, Biden started getting naked. He said, no, 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 it's, no, 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 it's, okay, never mind. All right, Matt Baker, great stuff as always, brother. We love you. And Trump, he made an announcement. He's going to be running in the 2024 elections. Now, a lot of people, they got really upset about this. A lot of people said, holy crap, this is the message. But I think we need to remember something very important. Those people that have been following this from the very beginning, those people that are awake, those people that understand what's going on, I don't believe this message was for us. Trump, he waited for after the midterms to actually take the temperature of the country. Where are we at right now? Do we have the awakening that we need? Do we have the people on our side? Do we have the people where we needed them to go? And remember, what has been happening to the system? The system has been breaking down. The economic system, the border, the issues in Ukraine, what we're seeing with the economy, everything is breaking down. And I do believe Trump, with the plan, thought if we can have inflation, have high fuel costs, show the borders there's an invasion going on there, show that they're trying to start a war, show that the economy's breaking down, the people would wake up. And yes, the people woke up. The people woke up and started to think logically. This is why Trump, leading up to the midterms, was talking about a red wave. Did we have a red wave? Well, we took back the House. We control the House. No, we don't control the Senate. But really think about the House right now. Where were all the blocks? Were the blocks in the Senate or were they in the House? Can the House now subpoena? Can the House now investigate? Can the House now do all these things? Absolutely. And those people that are angry, those people that are upset, those people that are saying they're going to quit, those people that say enough is enough. Well, like we've said from the very beginning, nobody's coming to do what you need to do. Nobody is riding on a white horse with the military behind them to save the day. 
Go back to the colonists during the Revolutionary War when they were in ditches, when they were hiding in trees and bushes. You think they're, they were out there going, God, I can't wait until someone comes to save us. No, they knew they had to fight. They knew they had to keep going. And actually, Trump let us know. The battle starts now. See, he took the temperature of the country. He said, okay, let's see where we're at. Well, if we're going to move forward, we don't have the people that we need to move forward. So we're going to have to let this play out. We're going to have to allow them to actually re the, reach the precipice of destruction. You know what the precipice of destruction means? That doesn't mean being a little uncomfortable. It doesn't mean that you're angry. It doesn't mean that you're just pissed off. When you're at the precipice of destruction, it means there's no hope. Everything has been taken away and we're going to war. That's the precipice of destruction where people see nothing. And I do believe Trump, he needs to wake the entire country up. And I've said this before. If you don't fight to take back the country, how are you going to keep it? You can't. And remember, we're in a war. The deep state right now, they're pushing their agenda. They're moving forward. Trump knows this. Trump knows exactly what they're planning to do. You know what they're planning to do. The rest of the country, they really don't right now. They really don't understand what's happening. And I do believe the message that Trump put out at Mar-a-Lago, where he was running, this was for everyone else. Do I believe the Anons knew that he was going to run again, that he was going to do this? Yes. Did the normies think he was going to run again? No, I think a lot of the normies, Republicans, and many other people, I don't think they understood that, yes, he was going to continue to do this. He was going to push forward. I do believe there is a plan. And all those people that say they're going to quit, I had it with Trump, I had it with this whole movement, where are you going? It's left up to we, the people, to fight and push forward. There's no quitting. If this was a physical war, war right now, and there was bloodshed and destruction, you just can't quit. And just because you think it's, oh, it's not that big of a deal, it's just an information war. It's a war like we've never seen before. It's a war that has never happened like this. And the deep state, they know how to keep going. They have a specific agenda. They won't stop. They won't stop because you're angry. They won't stop because you're upset. They don't care about you. They have an agenda. And it's our responsibility as we the people to fight as hard as we possibly can. The colonists, they just couldn't give up. They had to keep pushing on. We the people right now, we are fighting against these people. And we must push on. Trump is already letting us know that it's going to be very tough as we move forward. He already let us know that the deep state, they're going to make our lives miserable. He already let us know that going up against the deep state, it's going to be like a storm like we've never seen before. So he's already letting you know how bad it's going to get. You are listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. And if Trump is letting us know just how bad it's going to get. Well, <laughs> that isn't so reassuring, is it? But I think that is exactly what Donald Trump is telling the world. He's warning us. In fact, this brings us to what I consider to be the most 
critical observation and haunting prediction made by Trump during his entire speech. Only one minute and 12 seconds in duration. What we're about to hear was actually pieced together from two very different parts of Trump's speech. And so, in the light of everything we have heard thus far, consider the meaning and significance of what Trump is warning us about in the following passage. Much criticism is being placed on the fact that the Republican Party should have done better, and frankly, much of this blame is correct. But the citizens of our country have not yet realized the full extent and gravity of the pain our nation is going through, and the total effect of the suffering is just starting to take hold. They don't quite feel it yet, but they will very soon. I have no doubt that by 2024, it will sadly be much worse and they will see much more clearly what happened and what is happening to our country, and the voting will be much different. 2024. And one of the beautiful things of the pause, if there is such a thing as a beautiful thing, but one of the, the important factors of the pause is that we see how bad they've done. So we will be able to do it properly and it will be much easier, everybody will agree with us, because everybody sees what a bad job has been done during this two-year period, and it will be a four-year period. Everybody sees that. It will be much easier for us to do what has to be done. Well, if that isn't as cryptic and as haunting as it gets, eh? And if that wasn't a cue clue, <laughs> I don't know how else to interpret it. And by that, of course, I mean that Trump's observations and description of the process necessary to wake everybody up is exactly how the Q narrative has been evolving since the beginning of that phenomenon. And for those of you who may not fully grasp just what the Q phenomenon is all about, check out our February 11, 2021 broadcast, number 693, entitled QAnon, At the Tipping Point. That was when I first discovered the Q, and everything you need to know about Q is in that very episode, which again reaffirms what we just heard from X-22 just now. And I fear that when Trump is referring to, quote, what has to be done, end quote, it's going to be something completely new to the American experience. He's literally telling us that whatever that something is, it's important that the public has a clear understanding of what will be happening. Not the kind of thing any elected representative would describe in terms of, you know, politics as usual. When a president of the United States goes out of his way to let the public know that they must suffer, simply in order to wake a portion of that public up enough to allow the government to do what must be done, quote-unquote, because everyone will agree with us, then you know that the light at the end of the tunnel is still a long way off. Says Trump, we will be taking on the most corrupt forces and entrenched interests imaginable. This is not a task for a politician or a conventional candidate. Hello? Make no mistake, Trump is telling Americans loudly and clearly that this crisis isn't just going to go away by normal political means. Which brings us to the critical question, doesn't it? Are we, the people, up to the task? Now, for an example of that 
criticism of the Republican Party, which is correct, that Donald Trump cited, on this side of our next bumper is the Rageaholics' November 14th reaction to the midterm elections and to the inaction of so many on the right. And on the return side, it's the X-22 report again, but this time, as heard on the day before the midterms, in conversation with Army Intelligence Officer Captain Seth Keschel, who outlines 10 basic steps to election integrity in half as many minutes. But first, here's a rageaholic going into a rage over the midterms. I won't belabor the subject of electoral fortification, not least of which because I kind of already did many months prior to the 2020 election and several times prior to that, and I did so in a fair amount of detail. I've long advocated the abolition of mail-in ballots except for overseas military or for the infirmed with a doctor's note, and I did so long before the mere suggestion became compulsorily associated with insurrection now i'm kind of folding away the razor character here for a moment and for one simple reason rocking the uniform and dropping f-bombs like ron paul at a tax audit would i feel cheapen the impact of what occurred in this election week i suppose we're stuck with now and make no mistake left right center or sideways you are being gaslit about the american election process i still vividly recall the excruciating sense of abject bafflement that swept the entire nation when the 2000 election took more than an evening it was not always like this but the most important midterm takeaways have nothing whatsoever to do with what Time Magazine laughably described as fortification. As if it's a loaf of Iron Kid's bread infused with vitamin D and C. Remember kids, we need to be more like Europe. Except, you know, the whole voting on only one day, no mail-in ballots, and always with an ID thing. Everything else though, run, don't walk. I'd humbly submit that electoral irregularities have existed since time immemorial. Look at the Battle of Athens, folks. Not perhaps in this brazen or all-encompassing a fashion, but prior party officials have adapted and overcome even that. The difference is, this GOP didn't want to. I've said on many the occasion, but contrary to the media's Gregorian chant, MAGA is not a cult of personality. It existed when Trump was still a f***ing game show host. It's the sequel to the Tea Party, which was a reboot of the Buchanan Brigade, which was the ghost of the Goldwater movement, and on and on ad infinitum. It ain't a cult of personality, cause Trump inherited it. If you piss your panties in black pill instead of learning from and adapting to this deliberately sabotaged opportunity, you best not bellyache about the result in the aftermath because the gun that matters the most is the one at your back and you will have had your shot at fumigating the vermin in your own midst and you didn't do Dick, which in my eyes makes you at least as contemptible as conservative ink. The black pill is the gospel of inaction. So how do you think we, I mean, you're talking about transparency into election. How do you think we should clean this all up? I have my 10 steps for true election integrity. And we can go over those, and of course they're on my substack, but the first one is to clean out the voter rolls. The voter rolls are the foundation of, of clean elections or of fraudulent elections. The second thing that we have to do is to ban all electronic elections equipment and go back to what we used to do really prior to the 2000s. 
2004, we went way big on electronic elections equipment. And since then, we've we've existed in the current bubble that we are in. But the machines, ballot marking devices, scanners, tabulators, poll books all have to go in favor of hand counted paper ballots. The third step is to enforce voter ID across the board. My 85% Republican county in Texas, that's not a problem. They're going to check every ID up, down, left, and right. You go down to Houston or over to Dallas or Austin, it's anybody's guess. Voter ID, paper ballots. Number four, ban mail-in voting with the exception of overseas military and the legitimately disabled. They can vote absentee. But the mail-in voting, when it's combined with filthy voter rolls, is a one-way ticket to election fraud. And Jimmy Carter himself said that about 15 years ago. So that's not the words of what the media calls conspiracy theorists. That's really the words of somebody who's probably the only person happy Joe Biden is in the White House today. <laughs> and then number five, ban early voting. And there are some exceptions there. Your doctors, nurses, pilots, election workers who can't turn out on election day, we can figure out a limited window for them to go vote early. But feeding electronic machines your vote early is going to give more information at the end level on what needs to be done to get a final outcome determined. So I, I'm not going to vote until tomorrow in person. And of course, everybody should vote on election day. That's why we call it that. But instead, we have election weeks and election month. In Texas in 2020, 91% of the vote was in before election day. And the result was the closest margin for a Republican in 25 years, despite a record performance, because they went for drive through voting lanes with all that extra time three weeks this time. Now, the sixth point is to have smaller precincts. Some of those precincts in Maricopa County, Arizona, in the last election had nine or 10,000 registered voters per precinct. And they were absolutely massive. There's no way for anyone who works elections at that level to keep track of the voter rolls to see if they're updated, to see if you have duplicate registrations, cross off people who've died or moved. And you can't run three weeks worth of elections activities with a roll that big with that many people having to take advantage of early voting and mail-in voting to avoid lines. So we need to get those under 1,200, and that's per Liz Harris, who did the Maricopa County Independent Canvas in 2021. But it really means that we need five or six times more election workers than we already don't have. So that's the big ask for people watching the show is to get involved working elections. The seventh point is to ban ballot harvesting. That's been done in Florida. But that's one thing is to ban it. It's another thing to enforce it. Mm. And in Florida, it was made a felony. Now, it's banned in a number of states, but it happens because the penalties aren't severe. Ballot harvesting is the secret sauce for amping up mail ballot turnout for candidates who otherwise wouldn't be able to win. Number eight is uh, election day is a holiday. Very important. Not a textbook conservative solution because it entails another holiday, but if we're going to be able to sell the idea of restricting mail-in voting and early voting, then we have to give a little bit and allow for Election Day to be a holiday because we need to be able to crank through 1,200 registered voters per precinct on one day. And, of course, we've already made the exception for those who can't vote on Election Day with limited early voting. I think if we had step number eight in play, then we would be well on our way to a healthy system of elections because we get away from the need for mail-in voting and early voting to avoid the lines and the so-called voter suppression. And number nine, re new reporting requirements for transparency. I call, I call those the Raffensperger rules. Okay. And that would be because you have DeKalb County, Georgia, counting votes nonstop until Donald Trump lost the state of Georgia. So no more North Carolina rules where we're going to count votes for nine days coming in. I think Nevada's going 
going to have that this time around. And then we have the no more Alaska rules where you can request mail ballots the day before. We're going to count the mail ballots first, the very small amount that we allow at the door. Then we'll have a hard count of how many votes per precinct as polls close. And then we have an established deadline for reporting the vote results in these small precincts. And then the last one is always a very popular one is heavy prison time for those who are caught committing election fraud. If we can put those 10 points in, Mm -hmm. then we're absolutely going to have a very strong system of elections to where election fraud should be limited to really you tried to show up and vote twice. Single or just little small cases like that. Some great recommendations and ideas there. I could add a lot to those recommendations based on my own experience in politics. But the one check I would like to see is that all valid ballots should have an individualized serial number on them and that the voter should be able to take a copy of that ballot home with him. Since ballots would be randomly distributed at polling booths and precautions would have to be in place, there would be no way of tying that voter to the serial number. Paper ballots cast could be listed online by their serial number and any voter would then be able to go online to see if his or her vote was cast for the appropriate candidate. Or even if it was counted at all. I don't think it could get any more transparent than that, and I think that's an easy thing to do. In fact, it wouldn't hurt to have all the cast paper ballots accessible to everyone. And between that and having the original paper ballots always retained for a future potential recount or confirmation, I think that's about as transparent and secure as a voting process can get. Now bear in mind that all of the 10 recommendations we just heard pertain to a single electoral event, namely how to conduct a transparent and fair election on a single day. But election days are only the periodic climax points of an electoral process that continues full-time without any interruptions whatever. The political party machines, tentative and future candidates making their plans, the deep state attempting to subvert and misrepresent the process at every opportunity, to say nothing of misrepresenting the whole concept of democracy itself. All of that kind of activity goes on between elections, where and when the real conflicts are being fought. The rageaholic's frustration with so many people on the right, particularly within the GOP, is a frustration I have experienced with people on the right since first becoming officially involved in politics back in 1984. Conservatives are always infighting and creating factions between them, assuming that they have anything in common that could be called conservative in the first place. As an ideology, conservatism has always lacked any objective definition which allowed for such ridiculous concepts as progressive conservative. That's the name of Ontario's supposed party on the right. Give me a break. Oxymoronic or what? Progressive is associated with socialism, while conservatism is associated with capitalism. And yet, and yet, this is the weird part, each association is demonstrably false. Socialism's not progressive, it's regressive. It moves from individualism to tribalism, to the collective. And conservatives do not support capitalism and never have in my entire experience. You know what conservatives like to do? They like to manage the finances of the state, which is not capitalism. Conservatives love public-private partnerships. 
which is basically a partnership between one guy with a gun and another guy with the gun to his head. Remember, public, quote-unquote, means the state, and the state is a gun. That's why the state loves wars so much. I mean, when you're nothing but a hammer, every problem you approach is solved with a hammer. Interesting that Trump promised to rehire the military, who were unjustly dismissed over their vaccine resistance. And in light of all the vaxxed military members we're hearing about, now coming down with all of the same symptoms cited in the general public, and you combine that with the declining recruitment numbers, I actually began to wonder where future American military members were going to be coming from. And then you've got Biden his government's fixation on the Ukraine, and, you know, things are starting to smell a lot like Vietnam all over again. Now, one of the marketing slogans we use with the Freedom Party of Ontario is, quote, the purpose of government is to protect individual freedom of choice, not to restrict it, end quote. And as a party on the right, it stands diametrically opposed to the left's view of government, which is that, quote, the purpose of government is to restrict individual freedom of choice and not to protect it, end quote. And that's exactly what we are seeing daily from all the political parties on the left, whether they call themselves liberal, conservative, or any other variant of statism. The only differences between them is over whose freedom of choice is going to be restricted for whose unearned benefit, period. So when I say that the purpose of government is to protect individual freedom of choice, not to restrict it, that only applies to the government of a free society. If the society is not free, and hear me carefully on this, if the society is not free, then it has no government. It has a state, and that's not a state you ever want to be in. The state is the gun, and the people are the government, the moral agents. Unless we learn to see governance in this broad light, we will forever be misled and disappointed by that so-held sacred concept that we call democracy. Now, with the trump card again on the table, the political ante has just been raised. Who's still in the game? No matter how bad things look, don't deal yourself out just yet, especially since our next round at the table is scheduled for seven days from now when you are invited to take your seat as we continue our own weekly game of persuasion to move everyone in the right direction. Until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. As we all recently saw on television, the Army Selected Service System has reverted to choosing inductees' names by lottery. The new draft lottery works this way. First, they put a bunch of little capsules into a big bowl. A man draws out one, opens it up, and there's a day of the year on it. They write it down, and that's the number one birthday. The guys who have the birthday on that day will be called in first. Then they draw until they've drawn all the birthdays of every day in the year, including leap year, even if it doesn't come this year, cause otherwise guys born then would only be eligible every four years, which isn't fair to the others, you know. There's another bowl that has all the letters of the alphabet on them, and so all these are drawn and written down in whatever order they are, so when they don't need all the guys from one birthday, they take them 
all in from order of the other birthday of the alphabet that was drawn in on alphabetical order, except after the first letter of the last name. And that they keep taking guys until they don't need any more than they don't. And usually they'll only take 19-year-olds, but this year it'll be 19 through 26-year-olds, because otherwise the older guys would have been lucked out because they used to take them all the opposite way first, and all deferments still apply, except when you're done deferring, because when you stop, you're 19 for a year, no matter how old you are, you understand? <laughs>